guys. Welcome back to the Misfits and Mysteries podcast. We are your weekly podcast for everything from psychology and history to Bigfoot and aliens and everything in between. We are your hosts, Emmy. And Steve. So Steve, how are we doing? We're doing okay. (laughs) As uh, some of you might know, if you follow us on Twitter or even Instagram, we had a great episode all ready to go. And then our recording software crapped out and we lost everything but 20 minutes of our interview with Campbell McLaren, who is the co-founder of the UFC and current founder and I think president and CEO of Combate Americas. It was an incredible interview. We still have a great 20 minutes, so it's not all lost, but we're, so bummed. Sad. we're bummed that you guys can't hear the last 37 minutes. They were pretty great. So sad. So this episode is really a labor of love, you guys. We are recording it a little bit last minute because we have to redo everything, but yeah, we're hoping you guys still enjoy. Yeah, we're recording it twice. We actually scrapped a lot of what we were originally doing because we wanted to restructure the episode and it's hard to have the same conversation twice and be enthusiastic about <laughs> it. So we actually picked all new topics and everything, but our interview with Campbell is still incredible. We're just bummed that we couldn't share the whole thing with you, but hey, maybe if you like it, and you want to show some support and let us know, we can convince them to come back on down the road and there'll be no technical difficulties. Also, if the audio quality drops off, sorry, we're using Zoom again. We're going to be doing Zoom default until we figure out a way that we can get better audio quality without risking losing our entire episode. The uh, podcasting software that shall not be named. Yeah. There's no reason to slander them. I mean, I already slander them on Twitter, but we don't need to slander them in the episode. <laughs> I think more people would actually hear it here than actually read my tweet. So, all right. So I guess to do a couple announcements before we start the show. So newsletter comes out first Friday of the month. Check it out and check out our blogs on our website, misfitsandmysteries.com. We're now going to try and do a blogging schedule and put out like three blogs a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So we actually have content for you guys. So please actually sign up for our newsletter and check out our website. We're going to be actually pumping out content. Also, make sure to subscribe to the show, leave a review and a rating. We're going to actually read off a review today. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Also, if you like our show, uh, we'll reiterate this at the end, but please consider buying our merch from our Tee Public store or donating a couple bucks on Buy Me a Coffee. All that stuff will be in our episode notes and you can find our website. And then finally, we're going to be joined by their Terrified and their Tipsy podcast next week, which should be really fun. And God willing, uh, the whole thing won't get ruined in uh, like <laughs> this week. <laughs> Please, no. So before we end the episode, did you do anything fun this weekend? Let's see. So I am at my parents right now in upstate New York. Actually supposed to head back on Sunday, but it is now Tuesday and I am still here because we got a little bit snowed in. Yeah. (laughs) But it's been fun. We got to do a lot of winter snow activities, a lot of sledding, cross country Mm -hmm. skiing. So it's been a good weekend. That's fun. Do you know I was on the cross country ski team in college? No, you were not. I 100% was. I didn't even know we had a cross country ski team tall dad made me do it from minnesota oh i know dan yeah well obviously you know dan i'm not gonna say his last name on our podcast that is you were like tall you had to specify tall dan from minnesota yeah i don't know (laughs) he made me do it and funny thing is he's been trying to get me to do it freshman and sophomore year 
And then I joined the team junior year when he was abroad. Were you good? <laughs> no, I mean, I was so bad at racing. Oh my God, I was so bad at racing. The one race we went to, this is a really funny story, actually. The one race I went to, they needed a third or fourth guy so they could place. So the night before, so Dan and I, because Dan was a captain, uh, Dan and I were like the only senior guys. So we're like, okay, it's a big race, guys. No one, uh, no one's allowed to drink or anything like that. And then we go to our, uh, I'm going to cut his name, but we go to his room and uh-huh. we start playing beer die and some other um, drinking games. Next thing you know, we're down at the uh, local bar, both obliterated. And then Dan goes to me like the next morning. I'm so, I'm probably still drunk. It was terrible. Oh um, no. He goes to me next morning. I was like, hey dude, I'm kind of hungover. Can you drive? I'm like, Dan, like, I don't think I could legally drive and I'm not even registered to drive a van. Oh, it's so miserable. We get up there. It is below freezing. <laughs> at this race oh in the mountaintop in in uh oh, shoot i fear a part of mine's over by castleton and let's just say the very first race it was supposed to be a skate skiing race and i only had a pair of classic skis i made it around the first little loop and i quit because i'm like fuck this <laughs> well yeah i mean that's it's like impossible because if you go up a hill you basically have to walk up the hill if you don't have skate skis yeah so the second day was classic, right? So the first day I was like, fuck this, I quit. And the second day was horrendous. That race was awful. Like I quit after one full lap because I'm like, I can't do this again. I can't do this. It was like a 20K race. I'm like, I literally just can't do another loop of this, let alone like five more. So I called it quits. I faked an injury and called it quits. And I'm oh, like, no. <laughs> I can't do this ever again. It's bad enough. It's just like steep incline, right? And then there's like a half a mile long downhill. And it's like, okay, first of all, I don't love going downhill, like straight downhill on uh, cross-country skis. It's like, but whatever, I can usually do that. But when you include these kids who have been doing it their whole lives, just zipping by you narrowly, being like, get out of the tracks, asshole. It's like, um, uh, no. It's like, I, no. I like, I'm going to literally I will die. die if I get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> and it was me and the West Point guys were at the end, because all the West Point guys who um, do cross-country ski racing, at West Point, you're required to do like a sport every season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are just like football offensive linemen who just aren't able to play other sports. Like, like they're athletic, yeah. obviously, because offensive linemen are big, but really athletic. So they're just like, this is the first time they've ever skied in their life. And they just have to like do the race. Yeah. <laughs> That's like when I was on the marathon canoe team in college. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'll spare everyone the details, but basically... There's one race and it's 90 miles over three days. And my team came in dead last place. We got passed by a boat that was made out of tin. <laughs> it looked like someone made it in their fucking basement. <laughs> Did you do a just to get the awesome Hawaiian shirt though? I didn't get a Hawaiian shirt. Oh, so you did it for nothing then? We got a nice t-shirt. Our freshman year, I think. I didn't want to actually do it. I considered joining the team just to get the Hawaiian shirt. The worst part too is we didn't get any merch either. We were supposed to get an order of jackets for cross-country skiing, but there wasn't enough interest to fulfill the order and make it like economically viable. And I'm really, really salty about that. So clearly you just do activities for the merch. No, I actually like cross-country skiing. I do it for fun um, even now, but I wish I had a jacket so people would believe me that I actually did cross-country skiing. (laughs) Anyways, what do you got for us today? So my segment is a little quick. It is a restaurant review. 
in the Albany Times Union, which is the Albany, New York newspaper. And it's great. And then I'm doing the Jersey Devil, just sort of the folklore around it, some sightings and whatnot. And then we're also going to have Campbell's interview in between those. So it's a good episode. Yeah. So let's get into your uh, review. Let's do it. So this is a restaurant review. I will preface this by saying I discovered this when my family and I were in Albany, New York. We were staying in a hotel and my mom loves seafood. So we were trying to find a place to go out to dinner. This was 2019. So pre-COVID, everybody. So we're looking for a place to go out to dinner, looking for a seafood place. And we see on Google Maps, this place called the Boyle Shack. And like, okay, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And look up this review. My dad types in like Boyle Shack review. And this is what we find an article in their local newspaper, a restaurant (laughs) review. And I will say the funniest part about this is that I told my parents I was doing this segment as a part of our show because they obviously think it's really funny. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh my God, Emily, do you realize that a boil shack is coming to our town? (laughs) (laughs) So they're having like, it's not a chain, but like, another location is coming to my town (laughs) that's exciting we can go there maybe i don't know once you hear this review i don't know if it'll be very exciting all right here we go so headline is restaurant review the boil shack on wolf road sub headline a messy meddling of globally distant cuisines Hmm. it's by Susie davidson powell if anyone wants to check it out on the albany times union So this is her job. She is a professional restaurant reviewer. Okay. This is not a Yelp review. This This is is not a, this is is in the newspaper. Like when you Google this place, this comes up. It is not a Yelp review. Okay. That's hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. Well, the Boyle Shack has arrived on Wolf Road in Colony, bringing with it more questions than answers. I'm told some people of local standing in the food world have taken their family two, even three times. So I'm left incredulous over our dramatically different meals. The Boyle (laughs) Shack will appeal to those who enjoy raw shellfish, Russian roulette, (laughs) and have suffered heartbreak over the closure of Joe's Crab Shack or get impatient when the line at Red Lobster is too long. (laughs) So already we're not off to a good start. Yeah, off to a hot start for sure. Off to a hot start. The Boyle Shack is the latest concept from an extended Chinese family whose 30-year restaurant run still involves, to one extent or another, sake cafe, tan popo ramen, and icy point rolling ice cream, either by direct ownership or extended family members helping out. Having favorably reviewed sake and tan popo, I'll speculate on the misfires that define the experience of dining at the Boyle Shack. At its core is a Cajun Asian identity crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Two things that don't really mix. No, not definitely not. (laughs) Having slipped past the turnkey shell of the former Bonefish Grill just past Colony Center, the bar and ocean themed booths are there intact. New color changing lights forges a link to the clubbish zen. New Orleans posters line the walls and Hawaiian flowers color the fresh seafood market boards. 
There's Denver John and Garth Brooks as a soundtrack, an unseen cues that cause staff to take flight to the kitchen like a flock of disturbed seagulls. <laughs> Honestly, like the vibe sounds like kind of fun. It's well written for sure. But like the vibe of this restaurant is like, it reminds me of like a Margaritaville or something. <laughs> Can we go to every single Margaritaville? We had we wanted to do this for some other restaurant. I can't remember. No, I think we had this conversation about Margaritaville because I have really? wanted to, I've wanted to go to every single Margaritaville. Just I wanted to like monetize it somehow though. I've only been to one Margaritaville. So I've never been, but one time I went to Atlanta with my family, and there was a Margaritaville like right outside of where we were staying. And the joke always was whenever we were talking about dinner, it's always like, hey we could go to Margaritaville or a real restaurant. <laughs> I just never been. I kind of want to go to every single Margaritaville. I mean, it's pretty like fine. It's like average, but I actually was thinking, so driving up here from New York city, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's a little different in rural upstate New York. Yeah. And I saw our local Applebee's and I was like, I would do anything to just get freely fucked up in an Applebee's right now like sit inside (laughs) at the bar at the Applebee's and get like a blooming onion or something (laughs) but they don't even have blooming onions that's outback but you know what I mean just like get some shitty food a dollarita and like fuck up the local Applebee's you know I think it must have been our junior year the hockey boys got kicked out of Applebee's um, cause they had a, um, buy one, get one free dollar margs or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, uh, actually it's not unlimited. And the one of them was like, uh, the sign right here says it's unlimited and drank a lot. And then eventually they got kicked out and they like failed seeing me. Cause I mean, no, seriously though, it said buy one, get one free unlimited. And Applebee's was like, uh Oh, <laughs> we don't have enough alcohol for these kids. But seriously, I don't know if you've ever had a dollarita. No, I've never. I have not been in an Applebee's in, I would say, a minimum of eight years. Okay, so not within the drinking age. Yeah, very much not. I was a kid last time I was inside. Yeah, so the dollarita, I've never seen them make it, but once you taste it, you can tell what it is. Mm-hmm. And it is vodka and pink lemonade. But it's kind of good. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound awful. No, but like, uh, it probably costs them 50 cents to make. Oh, yeah. And you get three of them. <laughs> gets you in the door. So. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Anyways, that got us way off track. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just... Sorry about that. Oh, sorry. It's another fact I wanted to say quickly before we get back on track about Margaritaville's. Do you know that um, Jimmy Buffett, his net worth is half a billion dollars and almost all that money is not from his music. It's from his Margaritaville's. Really? Yeah. I bet if we tweeted at Margaritaville and like wanted to go to everyone in the country, like they'd pay they for might, it. They might give us a shot. Let's get vaccinated and do it. <laughs> <laughs> for like a split second, I almost forgot about COVID. <laughs> I would love to go to every single Margaritaville. I I don't know. I mean, I almost would rather pick like chilies or something. But at least we can sleep at Margaritaville. So if they sponsor it, like it's a hotel. It's a resort usually, isn't it? So some of them are resorts, not all of them. I've only been to the one in like in the mall. <laughs> I've never actually been. I've 
contemplated going, but I never crossed the street <laughs> to go. Yeah, well, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Anyone who works in corporate at Margaritaville. Yeah, we will go to every single Margaritaville if you pay for our travel expenses. In the U.S., I don't want to commit to traveling the world because that seems like a huge commitment to go to every country and every state. Do you think they have it in different... They have have it in the British Virgin Islands. If we started a new, like a Margaritaville podcast... What the hell would we talk about? (laughs) Okay, easy. You go to everything and each time you try something different on the menu. Okay, this gives me an idea. Like, we should just keep this in because honestly, if someone hears it and wants to pay for it, I'm thinking... We should cut up this clip and tweet it at Margaritaville. Okay, so what I'm thinking is, so we go, right? And we do an episode at each Margaritaville and sponsored by Margaritaville. So we record in the Margaritaville. Yeah. Yes. 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 And we bring people. So we'll like, we'll have them fly in our guests. They're worth half a billion dollars. So they have money. Think of the marketing that this would be for them. I'm thinking like the Margarita Hour. We have a guest at Margaritaville over some margaritas and some nachos or whatever yeah, they have. I was going to say, what kind of food do they even have there? I have no idea. It's like, I love the idea of Margaritaville, but I've never been inside of one. It's like a very like Florida vibe. So it's like fish, but also like Mexican. All right. We're going to cut this up and pitch it to Margaritaville because I think this would be incredible. Like, Actually, I am so down. We can quit our day jobs and we'll go to every single Margaritaville. We're going to do it. All right, let's get back to the review. Anyway, <laughs> it's like when uh, I did a, this will be quick. In college, you had to write a paper about some organization and like their culture or something. And everyone else picked like Goldman Sachs or like, you know. Yeah, I know why they picked Goldman Sachs. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of kids but went I, My organization was Hooters. <laughs> And it was really fun because obviously there's a lot to talk about in terms of Hooters culture. And then I got to go to Hooters and like analyze the experience. I had never been to Hooters before. I have never been to Hooters either. Another quick story. One of my friends and I, uh, when we were sophomores going to junior year, and I was working for my friend's dad. We thought it'd be hysterical if we invited his dad to Hooters after work one day and just like went to Hooters with uh, my friend's dad. (laughs) But we never actually went. I've never been, but I actually have heard that the wings are good. That's all they're known for. Yeah, that's all they're known for. (laughs) Anyways, let's get back to the review. Here we go. Diving back in. Diners wearing purple surgical gloves pluck crustaceans from clear plastic trash bags and plink waste into anodized buckets like a surreal post-op party at a hospital. So they're showing you this stuff? Dude, I have no idea what that sentence meant, but they really packed a lot of imagery so, in there. So for my own analysis of that sentence, I'm thinking that means instead of trying to pretend you're fancy, you just have these white trash bags and you're just plucking the things out of them. Yeah, no, what I work. imagine is there's crab in a plastic bag and you're opening it up, eating it, and then you put the shells into a bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, may- Maybe. I hope that's the case. So I was just picturing they have like a big white garbage bag and they're just like pulling things out of it. God, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. 
If black and white plastic tablecloths, the dollar kind with the fuzzy backing, are there to deliver a shack feel to the vaguely smart space, they also emit a powerful scent of wiped down bleach. At least it's clean. Yeah, it's very clean. The well-oiled promise is of a Louisiana-inspired restaurant with fresh seafood, customizable Cajun flavorings, bayou cocktails, and house-made desserts. We find none of that here. (laughs) (laughs) Food is either forgettable or inedible, and by the meal's end, the uneaten detritus is the subject of morbid fascination. Oh my god. This person's so dramatic. Come on, Susie. Like, stop taking yourself so seriously. It could be that bad. Seriously. (laughs) My family was like, maybe we should just go, like, and see. Yeah, like, morbid curiosity. Yeah. A vast menu wrestles with pounds of seafood, a raw bar, fried Louisiana special, sandwiches, pasta, steak. Or a party of four might eat there cheaply. One meal combo comprises of a pound of crawfish, a pound of shrimp, blah, 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 for only $36. In reality, boils sounding like a pustular affliction. I don't know what that means. It sounds gross. Like a boil that you would have on your face. Oh, okay. That's yucky. Come with potato halves, sausage nubs, <laughs> and a chintzy third of an ear of coin. Well, perhaps coin sausage swiper swiped the rest of that sausage. That's why it's only True. Then you got none left. You don't know what we were talking about. Check out our Yule Lads episode from uh, back in December. Do it. One of our most fun ones we ever made. <laughs> No matter how you sauce your boil, dry, Cajun, lemon, pepper are options. It arrives in a lancy of diced garlic so thickly carpeted it burns like toxic waste and leaves hands and guts reeking for days. Lovely, lovely. Cheap crawfish are at least correctly bright orange to snap from shells, unlike spindly, damp, gray snow crab legs that trail like dead man's hands from the deep. I love the descriptions. They're just, they're out there. This must have been Susie's like. Magnum opus. Like, yeah, like her magnum opus. This is like her masterpiece. She was waiting for so long to just have a terrible time at a restaurant (laughs) so she could write this. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Seriously. There's not a live tank in sight, though Chow tells me one has been installed. So we are twice informed that there are no fresh live lobsters. (laughs) so they're just dead lobsters probably frozen i don't know i mean we were able to get live lobsters in vermont for my brother's birthday and Mm -hmm. in vermont we were able to get live lobsters vermont doesn't touch the ocean and sure albany doesn't touch an ocean but like come on you can get live lobsters in albany i mean the red lobster has live lobsters so (laughs) no matter where you are yeah A small, sparsely populated seafood tower is a travesty of mushy shrimp, parched oysters flopped like limp tongues, and swollen clams of an indeterminate tangy stickiness that strikes alarm in the eyes of my guests who refuse more. (laughs) (laughs) The great rubbery crab's limbs bend against our dutiful efforts to crack them open. When we succeed, they unleash incontinent gushes from boggy defrosted flesh these are truly terrible says one guest the highlight is a lime soaked salmon something 
and the clutch of pickled veg. Mmm, that doesn't sound appetizing. It does not. Nothing can save us from a reckless decision to bite into a deep-fried bayou oyster that spurred out a sort of sickly, wretched bile that had us worried we wouldn't make it through the night. Oh. (laughs) A perfunctory gumbo lacks life or salt, and a head-on shrimp left on top has committed harikari in its shell. Sad. (laughs) (laughs) So sad. Oh, my God. In fact, the best foods we eat are meat. A Delmonico steak and sautéed Brussels sprouts with pork belly. I'm not going to tell you the stringy steak was any great cut, but it was cooked rare by someone who makes great chimchurri too. The answer to that came on early from a server with a jaded smile warning our food, quote, might not come out in the right order as the kitchen and staff only speak Chinese or Spanish and can't really understand either. (laughs) How the hell do you run a business where the people in the kitchen speak two different languages and can't communicate? (laughs) Chinese or Spanish. And this is a Louisiana style place. Yeah, that's intriguing. We're almost done here. All right. I'm told Chef Jeremy Rusa, a former chef de cuisine of Vintage, came up with most of the non-boil menu and is there most nights, which could actually mean there or, quote, consulting. I peeked in the kitchen and saw no sign of the man whose twisted mustache and pointed beard made him a dead ringer for Guy Fox. <laughs> the website promises homemade desserts, so we asked, but cherry cheesecake and chocolate cake are both purveyor made, though the server added a pastry chef has been hired. If there's a pastry chef, Why aren't they making dessert? That's a very good question. I took a small, trusted group to tackle a menu of this scope. Even before leaving, I knew what we had left untouched, the fried oyster po'boy. But after the Bayou fried oysters, I couldn't, nor would any guest. I've made (laughs) my peace, and I leave it to you. Yikes. Dinner for three, including a small seafood tower, two additional appetizers, three entrees, and no alcohol, costs $221 with tax and a 20% tip. Yeah, that's uh, that's a goddamn nightmare right there. Susie, my girl, that was scathing. Yeah, I mean, that sounds horrendous, though, so I don't blame her. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of feel bad for these people because when you Google their restaurant, this is the first thing that comes up. Like my family did not go to the boil shack after reading this. I do feel terrible, especially now that we're doing a podcast and reviews actually matter. Like before we had like a significant amount of reviews early on, one asshole gave us a one star review on our, like because of our first episode. And then it was showing that we were like a two star show, which is like, sure. I understand that you might not like it, but when you give someone a bad review like that, it can derail yeah. them. I mean, now we're back to five stars. Thank you very much. Thank and you. It's our not, fans it's and not just stars. Like this is a review. This is the first top, top 10 worst reviews of all time in the actual newspaper, their local newspaper. But I mean, they must be doing all right if they're expanding to my town. Just a quick story. The worst restaurant experience I've ever had in my life was this place, I can say the name, it went under real quick in Vermont. It was called The Fat Spy. It did not last very long. So we went there one time and 
this space is gigantic and it wasn't filled and they mismanaged the space. So we order food. They bring my mom's chicken out just raw. It's still like uncooked on the inside completely. So we sent that back. The people next to us asked for a refill on their beer and they ran out of glasses. So they refilled the beer for this guy in an orange juice glass. And they charge him full price. Like, uh, I'm not paying for this. This is like three ounces. Literally. What? Like three ounces. And like uh, the last beer I had was like 16 ounces. Like what the hell? Also like- I used to work at a bar and like, if you run out of glasses, you just wash a glass. Like- I know. And, the, and the, the waitress's excuse was, yeah, well, we're out of glasses. So we just gave you that one. You just wash a glass. Like, I know. Seriously, you just wash a glass. That's a deal. So that implies that they didn't have enough glasses per the amount of seats they had there. Yeah. And you don't even under. have like solo cups in the back. I yeah, mean- I know. And the, the place went under pretty quick, but. All right, so do you want to get into the interview with uh, Campbell now? Let's do it. All right. All right, and we're back. So we're joined by a man who's had a legendary career from working at Caroline's Comedy Club to managing comedic talent like Larry David, Joy Bayer, and Louis Black to his illustrious career as a TV executive launching the UFC, hiring Joe Rogan, launching College Humor, and most recently, launching Combate Americas, the number one Hispanic MMA organization in the world. You've seen him on the Joe Rogan Experience and now Misfits and Mysteries. Welcome, Campbell McLaren. Thanks, guys. Uh, great to be here. I'm exhausted from that intro. <laughs> I've done all that. Listen, I never managed Lou Black. I produced a lot of stuff with him. That's too much. Uh, if you know who Lou Black is, you, you know, I can't manage him. He's unmanageable. <laughs> I produced a lot of stuff with him. Uh, okay. He's, uh, uh, you know, obviously a great performer and a great uh, political satirist and, and you know, uh, understands the world in a way, uh, you know, that he likes to explain to people. But no, mm-hmm. never managed Lou Black. No, no. <laughs> All right. I'll, we'll, we'll amend that. You produce stuff with him. Never actually managed him. Got it. <laughs> oh my god are you kidding me do you know how hard it is to manage talent i mean i can only imagine I, and you know we larry don't david so Bayhart, and those are you know I, I mean and larry david if you watch the show you know if you watch his hbo show that's him in a good mood <laughs> that's good larry you know uh, yeah he, he seems unmanageable yeah. <laughs> look he's a guy whose wife ran off with Al Gore. Al Gore is the most boring person on the planet. <laughs> so even if you have $50 million and your wife runs off with Al Gore, you're a miserable person. So, you know. Yeah. There you go. I, I can imagine. Let's talk a little bit about Larry. Yeah. To, to start with. So, Am, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? You can say pretty much anything on this podcast. What can I say? You said, um, like I said, we're going to edit this out, but we don't touch. Very afraid of those people. Um, that's about it. Besides that, and obviously no racial slurs. And then besides that, you can say whatever. All right. Well, I wasn't doing that anyway. Yeah. So, I that. so, uh, so Larry, uh, I was managing Larry. This is somewhere in the early 90s. So we're going back. This is before this. This is as the Seinfeld show is being developed. It's mm-hmm. not on the area. 
So Larry is pushing me. He wants to do the David Letterman show. He, mm-hmm. and, and so I set up the, they don't do auditions, but they, for someone like Larry, but they want to see the six minutes he's going to do on air. Mm-hmm. Six minutes is a comedy chunk. That's your on air. Like if you do the comedy late night shows, typically six minutes is the performance length, right? So we're practicing the six minutes. He's doing the six minutes. So I bring out the producer, Bob Morton, mm-hmm. and he, we're doing this at a club called Catch a Rising Star. And Morty's there, and Larry comes on stage, and he, he looks around, and he looks, and he sees this bald-headed guy in the audience. He goes, you're bothered. You know, bald head, bald in a lot of cultures is seen as masculinity. And he goes <laughs> off on the bald guy. Larry's losing his hair. So – there's no act. There's no six minutes. There's just him screaming at the bald guy. So, you know, Morty walks out. I mean, everybody knew Larry was a genius. You know, he's a tremendous writer and a great performer. But he freaks when he does the stand-up. So mm-hmm. I go back to him. Larry goes, I'm sorry. I'll, I won't do it again. Set up the set up the audition again. I won't do it. I swear, I swear. So I called Morty, uh, Bob Morton, and... Ah, you know what, Campbell? We've been through this before. You got to do something. This won't work. I don't want to do it right now. You got to do something. So I had the bright idea. Catch a Rising Star had a great comedy club. We had gone public and there were 28 Catch a Rising Stars around the country. Uh, Mm -hmm. We did a deal with the Pritzker family that owns the Hyatt Hotels. We were a lot of Hyatts. And and we're in Vegas and San Francisco. It's great. And we opened a club in uh, Harvard Yard. All right, up in Boston, up in Cambridge. And mm-hmm. it was cool because college students, as you know, because both of you recently were college students, yeah. college students wanna they wanna spend their money essentially on alcohol and they're interested in having sex. And if they can have <laughs> no, really? sex together, that's the best. So a comedy club can get you alcohol, but you can't really have sex at the comedy club. So a lot of college students don't go to comedy clubs. So our club at Harvard was, you know, young professors, adjunct professors, you know, like the Harvard community mm-hmm. rather than Harvard kids. So it's a super smart audience. Like it was a really good audience. Like they, they didn't heckle. Or if they mm-hmm. did heckle, they go, that's incorrect. The Enlightenment actually had a different point. You know, like that's the kind of heckling they did. Mm-hmm. So this is perfect for Larry. So we go to up to Boston. We're going to be there a month. Larry's going to do, he's not going to do Saturday night because in the comedy club world, Saturday nights, the drunks, the out-of-towners, the mm-hmm. one, you know, they're not the aficionados. We're going to do Tuesday through Thursday. See how Friday goes. But we're going to do Tuesday through Thursday. So mm-hmm. if people want to hear comedy that are smart, it's perfect, right? Yeah. And Larry's going to do, you know, we're going to work on the six. But I told him, if you're up there and it's rolling, just roll. And some nights he's doing 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. It's a one-man show. It's Larry talking about Larry's life. It's Larry talking about how he's, no one appreciates his genes. And it, it's wonderful. It's the it's it's Seinfeld. You, you see later on when I saw the show, mm-hmm. I saw where it had come from. And That's very cool. It was fantastic. Yeah. And so this is the month. So week three, a woman named Lori Leonard comes up and she's a talent manager. Like I know her. I know, you know, your competitors. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
Lori's at the bar in Catch a Rising Star in Boston, but she lives in New York. And I would bump into her in clubs in LA. I bump into her in clubs in New York, but what the fuck? She's in, <laughs> she is coaching my fucking client. There's only one reason for her to be there and it's to steal Larry. And I'm fucking sweating and getting him this kind of gig and perfecting it so I can go back to the Letterman show. And I go out and I go, what the fuck are you doing? This is outrageous that you come up here to Boston. You come into the club my company fucking owns. You're poaching my goddamn client. The fuck is wrong with you? This is the most outrageous. Even in show business terms, this sucks. <laughs> she goes, Campbell, I guess Larry didn't tell you we are engaged. Oh, <gasps> no. No. Oh, no, 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 I didn't mention that. <laughs> so she was poaching him. Uh, so she super poached him. You're exactly right. <laughs> the um, funny thing is, that sounds like just like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode right there. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and then Lori ran off with Al Gore or whatever, 10 years later, 15 years later. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the end of my relationship with Larry, but it was certainly the beginning of the end. And that's kind of a hard one to come back from. Mm -hmm. I was so mad. Have you ever been in a situation where you're incredibly angry, like crazy? Like if I was a cartoon, there'd be, you know, smoke coming out of my yeah. ears and stuff. And then you go, oh, oh. wow. <laughs> that's incredible. I haven't been there yet, luckily. <laughs> so actually a question sort of uh going off that because you said you've been in the la uh comedy clubs um one thing i was actually hoping and maybe you do have some interesting stories off of this is i know i've seen a lot of um interviews there's one with like joey diaz and uh even on the joe rogan experience they talk about the comedy store being haunted do you have any like first-hand experience <laughs> of that or like secondhand stories because i've I've heard some wild ones on different podcasts. And I was just wondering if you've heard anything oh or experienced God. anything like that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know who your listeners are and I'm glad to have their ears at the moment. I don't know how old you are. I assume probably young. We, so we are talking about my experiences from the eighties. Now you've now gone back a decade when I knew Mitzi Shore uh, <laughs> and, and Polly Shore, who's a moron was, you know, like an, an annoying kid that now he's been an annoying adult for whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, did I see the ghost? Yeah, did no. you? No, no. Is it Lenny Bruce? That makes no sense to me. Because if Lenny was going to haunt any place, it would probably be uh, uh, the, the, the club he did um, on Bleecker Street, New York. Oh, um, uh, the Comedy Cellar? No, no, no. Long before that. Oh. I started comic up. Village Gate. Village Gate. No, no, no. This is the 60s. He was there. Okay, yeah. Lenny Bruce, um, there was a law in New York to perform as a comedian. You had to have a cabaret license. And if you think about it as a uh, First Amendment issue, that meant the government was licensing people who would speak publicly. That's really mm -hmm. what that meant. Mm -hmm. And Lenny was all the time, you know, he was a cocksucker they hated when he said cocksucker on stage he got arrested for saying cocksucker on stage in new york and i mean that's why you know it's it's i know it's a long time ago because it's the 60s a long time ago but still that's surprising fact right emily mm -hmm. it's not it is 
I mean, you wouldn't expect that. He was arrested for saying cocksucker as a comedian. Anyway, so it was Lenny Bruce that challenged the cabaret laws in New York City and got them abolished. And it was a First Amendment issue. So it would have been there. If he was going to haunt any place, I think it would have been there. You know, yeah, that he makes died sense. Carnegie, he overdosed after the Carnegie Hall, the very famous show. So I think he actually died in New York. So I don't think he's haunting L.A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, L.A. doesn't have enough substance to be haunted. It's <laughs> too superficial for the spiritual. <laughs> no one wants their soul to rest but in yeah, L.A. Uh, you know, Mitzi Shore, if you knew who she was, look, don't judge that woman by her idiot son. Uh, Mitzi, like Caroline Hirsch, that ran Caroline's, uh, was ahead of her time. She was a woman in a very, very male-dominated business. She uh, put her own money into it. She was an entrepreneur. She built an incredible comedy brand. Mm-hmm. She was responsible for most of the comedy coming out of L.A. And, you know, she did great work. Her son's an idiot. You know, he's not funny. And if his mom hadn't known the comedy club, he never would have got on. Hmm. Paulie, if you're listening, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> you're a disgrace. You disgrace your mother. So I I think switching gears a little bit, because I know we don't have you for too long. So moving on. Oh, I'm going to keep that. <laughs> moving on to the kind of fighting world as opposed to comedy. So let's say you are able to pit together a dream fight between any two people, alive or dead, could be professional fighters, anybody, who would it be? Jesus versus Muhammad. Oh. That'd be interesting. And who's, sure. who's winning? I think that, that fight would probably be the biggest on the planet. <laughs> Let me, uh, who do I know? I'm commenting on who's winning. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I need a name. Help me. The cartoon set in uh, Utah, the kids. Uh, South Park. South Park. South Park's pilot, the pilot episode they made, Doug Herzog showed this to me when he was running Comedy Central. The pilot episode of South Park is set in the octagon. Mm -hmm. And it's Jesus versus Santa. Yeah. (laughs) That's the pilot episode. And, you know, Herzog told me, he goes, they based this all on you. This is the UFC. This is the UFC with Santa. Maybe that's the fight I want to see Santa. Let me yeah. come back. Great question. I, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I actually will give you a real answer. Um, but, you know, there's such a connection between comedy and fighting. People go, how do you go from one to the other? Yeah. Well, yeah it was kind of weird, but I can how I got there. But comedy, stand-up comedy, right? Not improv, not sitcoms. Stand-up comedy is a very macho art form, whether it's male or female performing. It's very rough. It's very American. Only Americans. Now it's changed. The, the whole world does stand up now. Mm-hmm. But at first, only Americans would stand in front of strangers and talk about their lives, their, their spouses, their children, their mm-hmm. failings, their sexual appetites. Only Americans would do that, right? I mean, that's a really American thing. And you're up there. And even though a lot of comedians are like, they would get killed in a fight. Like they wouldn't even be in a fight. Right. But it's still, it's rough, mano a mano. You're up there defending yourself. And if someone heckles or they don't like your comedy, you, it's you against the mob. Mm. And the language of stand-up comedy is very violent. I killed, I destroyed, I bombed. You know, it's a brutal, you know, for people starting out, you got to get up there. 
and put yourself at the mercy of a group of strangers. Usually very drunk. vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Very vulnerable. So, and you know, Rogan is a great example of how, as a comedian, and Joe's a good comedian, not a great comedian. He's a good comedian, but he's a great announcer on UFC. Mm-hmm. And I brought him into the UFC because I knew he could handle hecklers. He could handle drunks. He could handle late night. He'd also had quite a few, uh, I think he'd had like three to four professional kickboxing matches. So he's a tough guy. He's Boston. He's a tough guy. Mm-hmm. So that ability as a comedian to handle anything was so important in the UFC at the beginning because we didn't know how long the fights were going to go. We didn't know who was going to get hurt. It was it, it was like the circus without you know a playlist. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the mm-hmm. were here, the elephants were there, the hippos were over here, the lions were over here. I never knew what was happening. And I had to go to Joe and go, dude, we've actually run out of fighters. I got to go to a parking lot. This is a true story. This is UFC five. I got to go to the parking lot. I heard there's a couple guys that, you know, were alternates that are in the parking lot stall till I go get more fighters. Oh, I my mean, that- God. So, uh, and then it was Steve Gentleman. He was packing up his car and he was driving home. And I stopped him before he drove home. So Joe Rogan as a comedian was able to come into the UFC and go, you know, that was pretty amazing fight. You know, let's talk about that. You know, I thought that guy's head was coming off his body. And then he could talk and handle the live because we were always live. It was pay-per-view. It was always, always, always live. And then I'd come in, you know, and I'd give Joe the, you know, the same signs I use in the comedy club. And we get back into the fights. That's how Rogan got connected to the UFC. I knew he had comedy chops. I knew he would like the fight business. And then he started rolling around with the jujitsu, and that, then uh, everything was over. He he drank the Kool Aid, <laughs> jujitsu religion. But uh, who would I like to see fight? I worked on a fight, one of these you know potential possible fights when I was going to animate the fight and you know we had this great technology and I was doing it with Fox uh and a guy named Joe uh Davola who's a famous lunatic but I was going to have Hoist Gracie the first UFC winner mm-hmm. versus Mike Tyson and obviously the sizes are different Hoist in a wet gi with a couple rolls of quarters in the pockets maybe weighs 160 you know mm-hmm. Tyson is a heavyweight and was fighting typically around 205 and Tyson is a squat, you know, he's like a fire hydrant, you know, he squat, big shoulders. Not much of a neck and little voice coming out. <laughs> and very hard to choke unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. And incredibly powerful, heavy hands, brutal, brutal. And to put those two together, and they wouldn't actually fight because the age difference. And a boxer's, you know very scared of being hurt by a jujitsu guy because if they snap, you know, snap the arm, snap the uh, elbow, the boxer's out of business. Mm-hmm. So we were going to do this and I couldn't get it done because we said to them, look, we're going to run the computer variations. There was a show called World's uh, Dangerous Warrior, Most Dangerous Warrior. And they would end up doing, you know, Spartans versus U.S. Marines, yeah. French Legion, you know, and yeah, then they yeah, would yeah. run all these computer uh, simulations, right, and come up with a winner. So that's what I was going to do. I was going to run the fight a thousand times and then come up with a winner. And Hoist goes, yes, that's fine, but I must win because I will beat him. And Tyson goes, yeah, 
yeah, you can ride this simulation. I went the fuck out of him. You know, so I couldn't get them. I couldn't even get them agree to let a computer fight them. Oh, my right? God. But I think that was colossal. And Hoyce's father, Elio, he would chase boxers around in the 40s, whoever was the prize, the heavyweight prize fighter at the time, and challenge them. And he was after Joe Lewis for years to fight. And Joe Lewis always dodged him. So I thought this is kind of like the historic fight. Mm-hmm. Jigs mm-hmm. versus boxing. Monster versus whatever, boa constrictor. You know, it's 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 uh, Godzilla and King Kong, right? I mean, yeah. it's that. Yeah. And so if I could do one fight, even though Jesus versus Santa is pretty intriguing, <laughs> uh, I think Hoist versus uh, uh, Tyson is the fight. Interesting. So I guess just sort of off that, how do you feel about the rise of like amateur boxing? Not like with like uh, amateurs, but like these internet celebrities who are already millionaires, like um, sort of who have never re- who've Wait, trained for like six months, like the Paul brothers fighting like other internet people. Yeah, I know Logan Paul. Well, well, I tell you, I love it. This is my first answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that whether they're amateurs or not, like. One thing, remind me, are you guys millennials or are you Z? So we're Gen Z on the technicality. We were millennials the first half of our lives, and then they switched the age (laughs) back to the year before us. We were born, so we're cuspers. Okay, cuspers. Okay, so what I think millennials have done and what the Zs are inheriting is breaking down barriers and changing the structural approach to all sorts of genres, walks of life, sexuality. I think you guys have done a fantastic job of flipping everything up and then letting things set. You know, uh, Bruce Lee said, uh, take what works and throw away the rest. Mm -hmm. That's what you guys have done, right? The fact that tradition counts for shit, right? Who can, Mm -hmm. right? And I think this is a lot to do, obviously, with the internet and the accessibility of communication. Right, you don't have to have a TV show to be on the air. That's what mm-hmm. you guys are doing right here. You have your right. own show. Right? right. You don't have to go to NBC. You don't have to be the producer. You don't have to raise money. You can do a movie the same way. You do a podcast. You do whatever you want. YouTube. Logan Paul and Jake, they go fuck you. We're, <laughs> nobody's giving us a gig. We're going to do our own gig. We know we're talented. We're going to make our own money. Fuck you. You know what? We're going to box. Fuck you, Bob Arum. We're going to fucking box. We don't need you. Why do I need you? I don't need you. And as we said at the beginning of the show, we're very sorry that the audio crapped out and we only had the first 20 minutes. I hope you enjoyed. So it's a few announcements because all of our talk about Combate Americas, which is Campbell's current company, was lost. I got in touch with Campbell and I'm going to plug everything that he plugged. So first of all, April 9th is, I forgot exactly what the fight was, but there's a big event. You can find it on Univision Midnight and you can follow Campbell on Twitter and Instagram. It's Campbell Combate. We'll link everything. Unfortunately, you missed out on our conversation about last time Campbell was in a fight. I think what else was there? Uh, he liked my Bigfoot movie idea, which is exciting. So, um, <laughs> and he knows who Brendan Steer is and the Velocipaster. So that's pretty cool for you, Brendan. I don't think you actually listen to our show, but I'll make this a clip so you can know it or maybe I'll DM you. <laughs> And 
Oh, he also described filmmaking as camping while holding shit, which I think was pretty funny. So again, if you guys really enjoyed the interview like we did, please consider letting us know. Reach out to us on our social, where Twitter is podcast underscore misfits and Instagram. Just let us know. And then we'll be like, hey, Campbell, our fans loved you. We're so sorry that this happened. Maybe down the road, we'll see if we'll come back on. Wow to Margaritaville. Yes. And you guys should definitely check out Combate Americas and follow Campbell on social. Yeah. So now we're going to jump in to the Jersey Devil. Hi, friends. Hi. Welcome to They're Terrified and Tipsy. My name is Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. Since we have very different feelings about scary movies, we decided to share our emotional struggles with you all. Yeah, so grab a glass of wine, your Mm -hmm. favorite couch blanket, and get comfy and enjoy the ride with us. You can find their Terrified and Tipsy on Instagram and Twitter, plus all the podcast platforms. For links, head over to tipsypod.com. Cheers! All right, so we're going to start with some background. So I'm from Westchester. New Jersey is not all that far from me. The Jersey Devil lives in the Pine Barrens, which are in southern Jersey. The Jersey Devil is a legend that spans over 250 years. And it's one of like the earliest pieces of American folklore, which is really just interesting in its own right. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give some background information before we go into origins. And then I have a couple Jersey Devil sightings. It was hard to find good ones because a lot of them are in like a monster quest kind of show well those are kind of fun to watch and i attempted to watch like two different monster hunting shows their plots are really incoherent and you don't actually learn anything and it's really hard to take notes and follow along what's going on so facts about the jersey devil also known as the leeds devil because it was born in leeds which we'll get into is described as a six foot tall creature with the head of a horse two long hooved legs and two short front legs. It has hands with like talon claw things coming out of the fingers, bat wings, horns that grow out of its head, and glowing red eyes. And it likes to screech loudly. What During an the, image. I know. It's a weird... Have you seen the Jersey Devil? Like the drawings? Yeah. yeah it's a weird looking thing. It also kind of reminds me of Mothman with the red eyes and the yeah. wings. Is Mothman the Jersey Devil? Maybe. People are saying... That Mothman and Jersey Devil are one and the same. Who's saying that? Us? <laughs> yeah, we are people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, everybody. Okay, that's a nice clickbaity title, perhaps. Is the Jersey Devil just Mothman? Find out on this episode. Yeah. Mothman's baby. Exactly. Or the devil's baby is Mothman. Or his lover. Perhaps. They could be lovers. We don't know. You know, we don't know these things. They could lovers be lovers from another mother. Yes. So the Jersey Devil, also known as the Leeds Devil, has been blamed for crop failures. Cows have stopped producing milk, droughts. He's allegedly blown the tops off of trees and boiled streams. He's blamed for the loss of livestock. And during the day, he is believed to live in the wetlands and at night comes out to scare anyone it meets. Wow. So the origin story. Yes. This is a story that much like Hollywood, has been rebooted a billion goddamn times. But we're going to go with the earliest one that's the most popular story, and then we can get into a couple of other ones. Can I ask you a question first? Yeah. Is there one Jersey Devil or are there multiple Jersey Devils? There's a single Jersey Devil. 
Okay. Yes, because it is the devil of New Jersey. Okay. This is the most popular version of the story. I'm going to go through a couple of them after as well. So according to the most popular iteration of the Jersey Devil story, in 1735, a Quaker woman who lived in the Pine Barrens, who I believe her name was Jane Leeds, and she's just referred to as Mother Leeds. She was pregnant with her 13th child. So the Leeds have been like an instrument. 13th child. 13th child, yes. Jesus. I know, right? So the Leeds, from what I was reading, they're a real family that... I guess they founded Leeds, which is in the Pine Barrens. They're like a long-standing family. I have no idea if they're still around. I'm probably looking into that. Probably no. their whole, like, just their family could be a town. Yeah, I know, right? Just 13 kids? Jeez, they're <laughs> busy. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> the Leeds were impoverished, and her husband was just like an alcoholic bum. Aww. And after learning she was pregnant, she's alleged to have said, quote, let this one be a devil. Yeah, I know. Seriously. And then months later, on a dark and stormy night, Mother Leeds was giving birth to her 13th child, and she was surrounded by her children, her husband, and the local midwives. She delivered what was a perfectly healthy baby boy. Unfortunately, her unholy wish came true, and the boy transformed into a horrific creature. It's like weirdly like nativity scene Yeah. It's like Mother Mary, but like reverse. Yeah, only she's giving birth to the devil. (laughs) Which would make sense if this is folklore. Yeah, I mean, it's Quaker folklore. I mean, it's not Quaker folklore, but it's interesting that she's a Quaker. I wonder, like, I don't really know what they believe exactly, but I know they're like anti-violence and stuff. So. Right, continue. So the crying infant started to grow rapidly and it started sprouting horns out of its head, talon-like claws out of its fingers, Leathery bat wings grew out of the boy's back and his eyes began to glow bright red. Then the devil turned and savagely attacked his mother, killing her (gasps) or the midwives limb from limb, letting out an unearthly shriek. The devil then broke down the door to the room where his siblings and father were hiding and proceeded to kill as many of them as he could before he flew up the chimney and destroying it and flew off into the dark pine barrens at night. Oh my god a few of his siblings survived to tell the tale only in new jersey only in new <laughs> jersey so some iterations of the story say that he came out as the devil others say he transformed others say they like restrained him and he broke out others say instead of flying up the chimney he broke down their front door but it doesn't really matter how it happened and the story has been rebooted like at least twice well, there's three of them, but one of them made absolutely no sense because whoever was writing clearly wasn't good at writing because they wrote what was supposed to be a story, but was kind of just like some offhanded comments about something. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell this is. Like, there's no beginning, middle or end of this story. It's not a real story. Um, Weird. So another reboot occurred in 1778, a full 43 years later. According to this legend, <laughs> A young girl from Leeds Point fell in love with a redcoat who was occupying the town because the region had iron furnaces that they used to supply privateers. In 1778, the British and Americans fought at the Battle of Chestnut Neck, and the townsfolk were really upset with her love with him and called it treasonous and allegedly cursed the girl. According to this Damn. version, she later gave birth to the Leeds Devil. And then the other iteration that was actually like written in a intelligible way was that a young woman 
1850, this is 1850s, a young woman encountered a gypsy who was begging for food and she freaked out and refused to help her out. And the gypsy proceeded to curse her. And years later, in 1850, the girl's firstborn son turned into the Jersey Devil. Oh, okay. So we got two sightings. One of them is not that exciting. And then the other one is kind of interesting. Okay. So sightings. The very first sighting of the Jersey Devil so there have been thousands of these right? Uh, from South Jersey to Philly and even in Delaware, but that's that whole area where the Pine Barren sort of touches. Okay. So the first and earliest sighting of the Jersey Devil was reported in 1812 by Joseph Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte's older brother and the former King of Spain. It is border town estate down there. And he went on a hunting excursion and saw the Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. as the first reported sighting like there is i guess legends of it before that but as the first reported sighting of it just a aside i just realized if we're gonna pretend that this is a hundred percent a true story that a woman's baby transformed to the devil if in 1812 joseph bonaparte reported seeing it how the hell are we supposed to believe that in 1850 a gypsy cursed some lady and her son turned into the jersey devil well yeah. after there have been sightings that makes no sense no the timeline is not. Yeah, that timeline does not work out. All right. So then we have Michael Orphy's sighting. So this was actually reported on a few weeks ago, but it happened 60 years ago. Okay. So Michael Orphy, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce his name. He was traveling down an unpaved road in South Jersey with his high school date, whose name was Violet, when Violet noticed something unusual coming towards them. Orphy recalls rolling down the window of his father's car when he sensed there was something out in the woods in the pines. Quote, I felt cocky and comfortable about being in the Pine Barrens, but I shouldn't have. We heard a rustling and there was definitely something out in the woods. Suddenly, Violet opened her eyes and mouth wide and started pointing to the window because there was a hand coming through the window. It was a big hand with sharp, almost claw-like nails coming right at Violet's head. Orphy rolled up the window and caught the creature's arm. And I guess he cut the creature's arm off because there's just spurting blood all over this poor girl's face. Okay, that's dramatic. I know, that is awful. And then he panicked and was trying to start the car. And this girl was screaming because there's this blood just covering her face. And he panicked and he meant to reverse the car, but accidentally went forward. And the creature's right arm went through the windshield, broke the windshield. He freaked out, reversed, and the teens narrowly escaped being killed by the Jersey Devil. Okay, why do they not have a severed devil hand? Oh, sorry, if I had to mention that. Um, when it broke the window, it picked up its hand. It picked picked it up. It picked up its, its hand. Other with- hand. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I think what actually happened is they crashed the car and were like, fuck, uh, uh, what's a good explanation? Yeah, probably were like making out, not paying attention. Yeah, probably crashed right into a tree and they're like, oh, fuck. Imagine if this actually happened and no one believed you. I mean, did she come back covered in blood? Like, <laughs> you didn't mention it. <laughs> That is crazy. I know. That is truly, truly crazy. That is, that's a story. So apparently the Jersey Devil has a ghost friend. Ooh. So 
Do you know who Captain Kidd is? No. Captain Kidd was a pirate. Arg, I, th- I believe. Yeah, he was a pirate. <laughs> William Kidd, also known as Captain Kidd. Um, you know, sorry, he's a Scottish sailor. Oh, he so he was executed for piracy. Okay, okay. So he is rumored to have buried his treasure in the Pine Barrens, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's so dense, no one knows where it is. And during the 17th and 18th centuries, some local stories told of the ghost of kid walking along the beach with the Jersey Devil. So they're little buddies. So the Jersey Devil has a little ghost buddy. Isn't that nice? Cute. Yeah. Just in the Pine Barrens, there are one, two, three, four, five. There are six different horrific creatures that are there. Oh, oh. So now my next question is, is there a Margaritaville in the Pine Barrens? <laughs> we have to know. We could sit down with the Jersey Devil. Yeah, we could. And Captain Kidd. That's the name of the episode. Margaritas with the Jersey Devil. And Captain Kidd. I don't think there is, but I think that we convinced them to put one there. It'd be like an outdoorsy resort. <laughs> That's the story of the Jersey Devil. I mean, there are thousands of sightings. I just chose a few of them because... Honestly, I didn't want to read a thousand different accounts. <laughs> I can't believe that one with the teens. I know, right? It seems like a crazy made up story, but like, what if? But also, like, you can't chop someone's arm off by rolling up the window, can you? Like, yeah, you can cut their finger off, but not their whole arm. And then he just like picks <laughs> off his arm. <laughs> his arm is sitting in this girl's lap okay yeah, it must and then he drives forward and the jersey devil's just like let me let me just grab through grab that and uh you guys can be on your way <laughs> yeah seriously like that would not be his priority he'd probably like slash their faces off i know his priority would be like you know okay you took my hand. Let me get that back. You guys won. Let me just have this back. And uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, oops, like, like I forgot something. Yeah. See, <laughs> Daisy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? That's just the way it is. I don't know if it's true, but like, imagine how horrifying if that was true, that would be. And no one would believe you. But the one thing where it's like, look, I don't think that actually happened, right? But at the same time, if this has been haunting you for 60 years, 60 years later, when you're like 70 something, you think that you'd admit that you just crashed the car. You won't keep True. up the lie. Your parents are dead. You're not going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's just convinced himself. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe there's something to it. Dun, dun, dun. We should go to the Pine Barrens. Only I feel like we get eaten by a bear before the Jersey Devil. Oh my God. I just want to have a margarita with him, sit yeah. down, reason with him. I think that's what you got to do is just, if you see him and he has an arm, he has two arms. Be like, hey, bro, I'm going to buy you a drink. Did this Michael Ofer guy actually chop your hand off? <laughs> <laughs> or is this some bullshit tail? Hoping he says yes, it'd be like, so why are your priorities to just like grab the severed hand <laughs> not kill them? That is some... Um... Yeah, that is pretty, pretty wacky. Pretty, pretty wacky. Pretty wacky. Before we wrap up the episode and get to the review, actually, um, I wanted to say I watched an incredible movie the other day. 
called Bigfoot the Movie. Tell me about it. It is incredible. It is a low-budget horror film about a female Bigfoot that escapes from a zoo and goes on a killing rampage. And they're in Pittsburgh. They're Yinzers. So one of them gets killed, right? And his two buddies, they go on a mission to hunt this thing down. And then this other guy joins them and these drunk Yinzers with weapons and they're trying to hunt down Bigfoot. And there's a whole like government conspiracy (laughs) thing. It is such a fun movie top to bottom. I highly recommend it. I'm in talks with their social media guy about getting the directors on the show. So fingers crossed we get that. I highly recommend it's on Amazon uh, Prime Instant Video. I um, added it to my list of my favorite uh, horror comedy films. I highly recommend checking it out. It's awesome. That's pretty sweet. And I love the uh, gender representation in Bigfoot media. It is just such a funny film. It's just such a funny film all around. I highly recommend it. All right. So we're reading our first review before we do this, guys. Remember, if you want to be represented and have a shout out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Both will be linked in the bio. Reviews help us out immensely, especially five-star ones, because they make us more visible. And I think it's fun to read off your reviews. If you're going to leave us a one-star review, don't. Yeah, don't. <laughs> like seriously, it's it's actually really uh, shitty of you to do that on anything. Unless the product or whatever you're buying is fundamentally broken or wrong, you shouldn't leave a one-star review because it actually can harm someone's business. So I recommend being a good person and not doing that. I'm so without further ado, shack. this was a review from February 4th, 2021 from MJM Blues 248 titled Spooky, Creepy, and Downright. Oh, it doesn't show me the rest of the title. Uh, five-star review where are you going without leaving a nice review this brother and sister team work hard to deliver you spooky facts and lore each and every week i just started listening and now i'm a fan for life well thank you mjm blues 248 we do work very hard we work overtime in fact because our entire episode got deleted pretty much and we started from scratch <laughs> i think this episode's better than the one we did before so it worked out in our favor. we were mad last time yeah we were in a bad mood it just didn't translate well but thank you so emmy and i are not brother and sister but uh <laughs> thank you for the nice words anyway emmy's actually my nephew that <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't come out right <laughs> Sorry, it's the wrong one. Shit. Emmy's actually my niece. Yes. Steve is my uncle who's younger than me. Yes. We never met till college. That's how we know each Steve other. Steve is my long lost identical Siamese twin. Yeah, identical Siamese <laughs> twin. And we never we met. Were, we were connected at birth and then separated. I actually, and- uh, what happened is. Emmy actually can't turn her head left, and I can't <laughs> never notice each other. We, <laughs> when, when we met each other, we realized we just fit together like puzzle pieces. We're like, oh, wow, that's weird. <laughs> if you guys, you know, tweet at us if you think you know how Steve and I connect to one another. Yeah, I don't know how I mean, to we, we've said it like a hundred times in the uh, episode description, uh, <laughs> show description, but hey, whatever. I love the nice comments. Yes, we work really hard and we appreciate being acknowledged. We do. Uh, So before we get wrap up the episode, we're not going to officially announce anything yet, but we are working behind the scenes on some bonus episodes. Uh, We want to experiment with some new content types and 
we think the best way to do that is to put out a bonus episode. So we'll update you um, on social and the newsletter and honestly in the episode before we release them. With those, we'd love it if you guys would give us feedback. We might send out a survey or something and just get feedback of what works, what doesn't. And if something works really well and you guys all love it, we'll add it to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun, despite the uh, technical difficulties we had to overcome. Yes. Thanks a lot, guys. So if you guys enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, you can find us on any podcast platform wherever you're listening now. You can also find us on social on Instagram and Twitter at podcast underscore misfits. And you can check out our blogs at misfitsandmysteries.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to uh, support the show financially, you can donate a couple bucks or buy me a coffee or buy our merch. So we have all the merch and the best merch. Yes. <laughs> We're going to start doing YouTube in March. So look out for that. All right. Stay spooky, guys. Yeah. Stay spooky. Till next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.